Well, good evening, everybody. I brought water with me again. If you were here last week, you know we read all the way through 2 Timothy. We're not going to do that again tonight, but I think it was a really good um, thing to do. In fact, I would encourage you guys to uh, read through it a few times before we get wrapped up. We've got two more weeks, three, including tonight, um, in Timothy. And it's a, it, it took us 12 minutes to read through it last week, so it's something you can easily do at home. Um, reading it out loud, not, not necessarily just reading it quietly, but reading it out loud. Um, and you can probably do it in 15 minutes or less, I'm sure. Um, great practice. And it will get you geared up for um, September when we move into Isaiah, because that'll be a little bit more of a challenge to, to read through that every week. Do you guys realize how long Isaiah is? That would, that would be several hours. It would be a good practice, but anyway. So nobody got my joke. That's all right. Say it again. Read it in Hebrew. Yeah, in Hebrew. I wanted to back up briefly into last week. This will make good sense to all of you who were here last week. If you weren't here last week, bear with us for a few minutes. It won't take long. But I just I wanted to point something out because I brought up the, um, the age of reason and... Uh, enlightenment and how that affects uh, thinking and how that affected um, how that affected the, the founding of our country and also some other um, just areas and reason uh, uh, criticisms of the Bible and the reason it's not we are not unreasonable okay as Christians we're not unreasonable we use logic we use reason to think through things and we have legitimate evidence and good, actually very substantial good evidence to believe the things we believe. So I kind of left that age of reason hanging like it was necessarily a bad thing. Now the whole enlightenment period and all the things that came out of that, there was a lot of damage done in various ways to, to the way we think. But here's the reason why. It's because of the starting point. It's not because they're using logic or reason to think through things. It's the starting point. The main starting point of enlightenment is that we can figure everything out on our own. Man can figure everything out on his own. It's the, it's the whole Tower of Babel problem, right? We can do it. We can do it. Just do it, as Nike says. Um, not a bad motto for sports, right? Just do it. But, uh, but for reason, we can't just do it. We need a starting point. And the biblical starting point, the worldview, the biblical worldview starting point is Proverbs 1.7 where it says that the beginning of the beginning or the fear of the lord is the beginning of, of knowledge the fear of the lord that's where we need to start now fear is reverent awe it also is yeah this guy could just quit thinking about me and poof i'd be done right or he could judge me all of these other things that come along with that idea of fear but mostly it's reverent awe holding god in the proper esteem um, so i i thought it it struck me this week that I, I said nothing else about the age of reason and maybe left some people thinking that, oh, yeah, we don't have to be reasonable. We don't have to use logic. That's not the case at all. Um, we use logic regularly and evidence, good substantial evidence. Uh, so quick reminder of where we're at. Second Timothy, you're welcome to turn there if you'd like to. Second Timothy will be in chapter two tonight. Um, but just to recap the background again, Paul's in prison, probably the Mamertine prison in Rome. It's a dungeon, essentially. Um, it's death row, 
right? They didn't hold people, as I said last week, they, don't, they didn't hold people for long periods of incarceration. And the Mamertine prison was, uh, was basically the death row of prisons in Rome. And Nero is the um, leader of Rome, the, the Caesar, the um, dictator, and he's in the, in the process of really ramping up or has been ramping up persecution of Christians, especially within uh, the city itself, but also throughout Rome, it's beginning to spread some persecution. And Paul is caught up in this net of um, people being arrested and being persecuted for their faith. So he's in prison, he's in a dank, cold, lonely cell, um, Luke is the only one who has remained with him and visits regularly. Uh, we, we also read about Onesiphorus having found him and come and, and encouraged him. And Paul pins this letter to Timothy. It's the last letter that he writes. And it's probably, as I stated last week, probably the most emotional letter that he writes. And I gave four main points that come out of the four chapters of 2 Timothy, and they were these. The first one out of chapter one is, is a charge to Timothy to guard the gospel. And that's in chapter one, verse 14. It says, guard the truth that has been entrusted to you by the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. And then in chapter two, where we're gonna be tonight, the charge is to suffer for the gospel. Um, great recruiting poster, right? Come suffer with Christ for the gospel. But this really is what we're called to do. And you find that especially in, ver in chapter 2, verses 3, 8, and 9. It says, take your share of suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ as preached in my gospel, Paul says, the gospel for which I am suffering and wearing fetters like a criminal. The third charge in chapter 3 is the charge to continue in the gospel, to keep living in the gospel. Um, evil men and impostors, Chapter, 13, or chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Evil men and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceivers and deceived. But as for you, speaking to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. And then the fourth and final charge in chapter 4 is the charge to proclaim the gospel. Um, so stand firm in it, continue the gospel, and then proclaim it. And in uh, verses one and two of chapter four, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, preach the word. Be urgent in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, and exhort. Be unfailing in patience and in teaching. So these are the four charges, the four main points. Rough outline of the whole book. And then um, to give you a quick outline for chapter two tonight, verses one through 13, you could call it uh, rough road ahead. You know when you're driving down the highway and you see a bump sign and then bam, you hit the bump almost immediately, no time to slow down? This is a terrible thing, isn't it? <laughs> jars your teeth, jars your car. It's really nice when we have some warning signs that say bump ahead or rough road ahead and then we come into them after we've slowed down, right? This, this next chapter is a bit of, uh, carries a little bit of that idea. Jesus said, they persecuted me. They're going to persecute you also for my name's sake. Be ready for it. You know, this isn't a joy ride. Don't think that everything's gonna be great in your life when you, when you come to Christ. Not the case at all. So rough road ahead, verses one through 13. Verses 14 through 19, handle with care. Handle the word with care. It's important um, how we interpret God's word. And, um, well, we'll get there. 
And then the final section is verses 20 through 26, which uh, you could title Lead Well. Be a nice little uh, outline for these uh, for this this chapter. Uh, 20 through 26, verses 20 through 26, and it's um, lead well, lead well. Be a good leader. Also, part of that in this leading well and um, the things running through Paul's mind, and I mentioned a little bit of this last week, but consider that, that Paul and all of the apostles, they really thought that Jesus was probably coming back during their lifetime. In fact, that was one of the false doctrines that went around, not from the apostles, but false teachers were saying um, that the resurrection's already happened and you missed it, essentially, and, and you know, stirring up people's angst and causing them anxiety. And now Paul's in this dungeon knowing that he's going to die. He may or may not know that Peter's also imprisoned at this time, but here's two of the main leaders of the church that, uh, according to uh, Eusebius, I think it was, that we talk, I talked about last week, that probably died on the same day, were martyred on the same day in different manners, but on the same day, or at least the same event, so the same period of time. Um, so it's heavy on Paul's mind to make sure that the gospel goes forward, to ra- raising up leaders beneath him, right, of which Timothy was one of the main ones, and then encouraging Timothy to raise up others, um, to share the gospel himself, and then to pass it on to others who would be capable of teaching it. Um, so rough road ahead. I told you to turn to Second Timothy, but actually let's back up to um, Colossians for just a moment. <clears throat> just, just a few books back to the left, if you're not familiar. In fact, right before the Thessalonians. So all the T's are grouped together. And then Colossians comes right before that. We'll be in chapter one here in a moment, but um, a little bit of introduction before we jump into Colossians here. Uh, this is not going to be news to most of you, but, but despite what you hear from many preachers on TV, uh, radio, television, presumably, God's number one priority is not to make us happy. Um, it's not to make us feel good through health, wealth, or any other worldly means, but it's actually to make us holy. More than anything else, he wants to make us like his son. He wants to make us holy like Jesus was holy. His desire is not to make us comfortable, but it's actually to help us grow up. And I've never heard anybody say that growing up's easy. We we want to stay as adolescents, right? We want to stay uh, carefree. Um, That's not what he's calling us to. But it can be a little bit like swimming upstream, especially in our culture. Um, Other people, the culture itself, is all trying to push us back and keep us from being holy, to keep us from being like Christ. Um, Doing everything possible to keep us from becoming mature believers. So we can expect life to present difficult challenges um, as we walk down a rough and rugged path. Fortunately, the news isn't all bad. In fact, it's incredibly good. While happiness uh, flits around, it's temporary, and it's based on outside circumstances, as Christians, we're really focusing on an inward joy, a lasting joy that comes from our relationship with Christ. So listen to um, this quote from a British theologian. F.B. Meyer wrote, Think it not strange, child of God. 
concerning the fiery trial that tries thee, as though some strange thing had happened. Rejoice, for it is a sure sign that thou art on the right track. If in an unknown country I am informed that I must pass through a valley where the sun is hidden, or over a stony bit of road, to reach my abiding place when I come to it, each moment of shadow or jolt of the carriage tells me that I am on the right road. So when a child of God passes through affliction, he's not surprised. So don't be surprised, brothers and sisters, when you run into rough roads. The Lord didn't promise to keep us from suffering, but he actually promises to sustain us through suffering. That way, every experience becomes the means by which God is creating in us greater capacity for joy. Uh, and another quote here from um, someone who's not actually a great theologian or somebody I would even recommend, but uh, Simeon Wheel did say something quite profound. She said, the extreme greatness of Christianity lies in the fact that it does not seek a supernatural cure for suffering, but rather a supernatural use for it. So a supernatural use for suffering. And I want to jump into Colossians for just a moment, starting in verse 24 of chapter 1. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from which God that was given to me for you, or from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. A couple of things in there that should jump out at you. Um, they jump out at me. Paul talking about making up the lack in Christ's suffering. What is that about? Jesus said it's finished on the cross, right? Um, we could spend all night in this chapter, verse, verse, but we're not going to. Um, well, this is what it's about. We all suffer, just like Paul suffered, filling up the lackings of Christ's suffering. Christ couldn't be here in every generation to suffer, right? It wouldn't, it wouldn't actually be good, even if he was, because he said, unless I go away, the Holy Spirit can't come. But our suffering and how we, walk, how we work through it, how we deal with it, represents God in our world, and it draws other people to Christ, that's what Paul is saying about his suffering that's happening. Same thing in our lives. When we're suffering and we're continuing to rely on Christ, we're filling up this, lacking really seems like the wrong word there, but we're filling up this um, lack of Christ's suffering in our present age in order for other people to come to him. Um, and this is what Paul's saying there. That that's uh, one of the things. And then the mystery that he talks about, that mystery besides just Christ being in us is the fact that a man who is also God was going to come and die and, and be raised from the dead, right? I mean, the, the minimal or the, the first things of the gospel that he came, he died, he was buried, and he was resurrected, just as the scripture said he would be. Um, and beyond that, this, uh, how, great, how great of a mystery and how great of a blessing that is to the Gentile nations, 
I mean, just blue Jewish minds, right? Blue Gentile minds too. Um, that this God of the Jews would love us as well. So um, anyway, great passage there. Uh, what does this mean to us? Well, in um, how, do, how, do we, how do we rejoice in these sufferings? Um, well, he tells us right here at the beginnings of 2 Timothy. So 2 Timothy chapter 2. You then, my child... Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It sounds so much like the last verse that I read there in Colossians. I'll read it again, chapter or verse 29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, with all Jesus' energy, that he powerfully works within me. So Christ is working in me and through me. It's his grace, what it says right here in 2 Timothy 2. Uh, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust this to faithful men. Pass it on to them who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering. And now he's going, to use, uh, he's going to use three metaphors here. Metaphor about a soldier, metaphor about um, an athlete, and a metaphor about a farmer. Uh, he says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we also will live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the persecution has already happened, or saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with the foolish, ignorant controversies. You know, uh, you know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, 
but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Sorry if I threw you off there. My intention was to read the whole chapter and then back up into it, and I started talking partway into it. But We'll do that now. <laughs> After a drink. <clears throat> so chapter two. Um, so he used three very familiar word pictures, metaphors here in this, talking about soldiers, um, athletes, and farmers. Now, the soldiering part reminds me of the armor of God whenever I hear that uh, in Ephesians 6. In fact, if you want to, uh, let's turn there for a moment. I think we're going to have time. Ephesians 6 and 10 through 18. And I always think, I don't know about you, but I always think of this armor being nice and shiny. right? That's always the picture that comes to mind when I'm uh, reading this or, or thinking about getting armored up in God, getting ready for, uh, uh, for the struggles of the day or the week. Um, so verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness." and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul was in chains when he wrote that one as well. Different imprisonment most likely. But uh, The point here, the armor of God, again, I always think of this as, as um, being shiny, new, clean, pristine armor. How long does that last if you're in any kind of a battle? Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, so maybe change that picture if you have the same kind of picture in your mind as, as uh, because it's a rough road, so our armor is going to get dented. Um, it's going to have mud on it. It's going to have blood on it. Uh, maybe have some holes in it from time to time. Um, we get to refresh that regularly, right, by getting back into his word and, and being refreshed by the Lord. But if we're in, in um, battles with cosmic elements of the universe, it's certainly not going to be without battle wounds, right? So it is a rough road, and Christ will carry us through. Um, secondly, he uses this uh, uh, metaphor of athletes, and another of my favorite metaphors of athletes is in Hebrews. If you want to turn just a few, uh, about two books to your right, actually three books, but you'll miss Philemon because it's only a page long. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 this will be a familiar verse to a lot of you, but 
chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, talking about everything that, that, that the writer just talked about in, in chapter 11, the hall of fame, the chapter of fame, um, those witnesses and the witness of what they did, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This idea of an athlete, it's, it's uh, preparation and um, not having anything dragging you down as you're running the race, right? Running the race that's set before you um, and doing so with, uh, with endurance, so running the race, it's, it's, uh, the, the metaphor of athletes is so often about self-control and about training. And we've got to train our bodies, right? It, that's the idea for an athlete. In fact, in, in the Roman, in the ancient times, the athletes had to uh, swear to Zeus that they had trained for 10 months before they could participate in the, like the Olympiad, the, the uh, Olympic type of um, games that they did. So they had to do them by, the, they had to participate by the rules. Uh, otherwise, they could be put to death if they didn't properly train. Um, so Paul is calling us to that, a similar picture of, of training and endurance and self control. And then the third metaphor that he uses is a hardworking farmer, which is certainly all about endurance. Um, We'll read through there again. Verse four, it says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. That idea of entanglement is getting so wrapped up in things outside of our primary purpose, outside of witnessing about Christ that we get drawn off into other things um, or get too entangled in them in civil things. Um, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And then the third one here that we're talking about now in verse six, it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. The idea of farming isn't that you go out and scatter seeds and plant and then disappear for six months. It takes steady return and taking care of the soil, watering, fertilizing, um, taking care of the plants, and then watching as they grow. And the farmer is there and sees the fruit, right? That's how he partakes, is one of the first to partake of the fruit. Um, he uses, these three metaphors are used in a lot of different scriptures. And you're probably familiar with many of them. Think over what I say, he says, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Through the Spirit, you'll be able to understand. Remembering Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. So remembering the resurrection and that he's the offspring of David. He's the rightful king on the throne as preached in my gospel, Paul says. And then verse nine, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. It goes forth whether I'm in chains or not, Paul's saying. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we also will live with him. His resurrection is a guarantee of our resurrection. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. If we deny him, he'll also deny us. Uh, 
that's a little bit of a shocker. And, but the very next line says, even when we're faithless, he's faithful. We're not perfect. We're not going to be perfect. And we'll have um, setbacks, times of, of maybe not denial, but failures, right? Um, but Christ's faithfulness will, endures even when our faithfulness becomes faithless. The next section, verses 14 through 19, handle with care. And before we jump into those next verses, just another quote here. Uh, in his book, Toxic Faith, uh, this is the results of not handling God's word properly, okay? Or could be the results of. Stephen Arterburn describes the effect of uh, religious charlatans and the effect that they had on his grandmother and continue to have on the world. They took her money and spent it on themselves and their big plans, schemes that had nothing to do with my grandmother's desire to tell the world about God's love or to feed and clothe orphans. Some of those ministers that she so faithfully supported wound up in jail, divorced their wives, were arrested for indecent exposure, or fell into other public sin. They proclaimed a faith on television or over the radio, but they lived something else. They didn't shrink from asking my grandmother and others like her to sacrifice their food money so that they could buy jet fuel or fly to Palm Springs for a weekend getaway. What they did was dishonest, unfair, and very human. The kind of faith they lived looked radically different from the one they proclaimed on the public airwaves. They built big empires for themselves while my grandmother turned off her heater at night so she might be able to save a few dollars and therefore give more. Their faith was toxic. It poisoned many who trusted them and it distorted the view of God held by many who watched as these media ministries fell from grace. As a result, many today believe all ministers are charlatans and out to fleece the flock. These cynics have, deri have derived a toxic, unhealthy view of faith from the toxic examples they saw in the media. Ever since there's been a truth to share, there's been charlatans, snake oil salesmen, people who are out for their own gain, um, whether it's the gospel or any other number of, of um, ways to get ill-gotten gain. Um, profiting from, cleverly twisting, uh, presenting themselves as shining beacons of God li God's light when in fact they were anything but. And just turn your TV on on a Sunday morning and you can find plenty, exam plenty of examples. Um, this is one of the reasons, again, why Paul is calling Timothy to uh, handle the word with care, um, to preach what he's learned. So verse 14. Remind them of these things. A quick break in here. One of the ways to do this comes out of Ephesians 5.19 where it says, Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Something along the lines of what we just read in uh, verses 11 through 13 that um, if your Bible's like mine, that that little chunk is set apart because it probably was a poem or a hymn um, or a, uh, it was something they said regularly uh, in order to remind them of the gospel, the part of if we have died with him, we've, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we'll reign with him. If we, if we deny him, he'll deny us. This would have been a way of encouraging each other. So uh, 
things like that or like the songs that we sing or reading from the hymns themselves, right? Encouraging one another through these things. This is one of the ways that we remind each other. Uh, back to Second Timothy. And take note here that the first two things that he calls him to are actually about public ministry. It says, and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. This, uh, this is about arguing over goofy stuff, even sometimes theology. You know, and theology is important and it's great, but when we start to get into arguments with people about um, pre-trib, post-trib, all-mill, post-mill, any, any of these theological things that cause division in the church, these are the kinds of things that Paul's talking about. Don't get involved in those kinds of things. It's fine to have a, a civil discussion and there are varying views on some, some topics that are hard to uh, discern 100% confidently out of the word, but they're not that important. Be a pan-theologist. It's all going to pan out, right? God's in control, and it's all going to pan out. Now, it's fine to have an opinion and to express it, but don't get bound up in controversies or arguing, especially about these things. It only ruins the hearers. I've shared, maybe not, I think in this context I've shared before, that in the, in the late 70s, early 80s, there were tapes going around the valley. Um, and, I mean, people were setting dates, and it was well-known teachers that it was when uh, Russia actually first came in down into Afghanistan. And they were saying, hey, their next move is going to be moving into Iran. And, and before you know it, they're going to be in, in uh, Jerusalem. And this is Ezekiel and Revelation happening. It's happening in our lifetime. It's happening right now. And then what happened? Afghanistan defeated Russia and they tucked tail and went home. And all of these predictions that were made didn't happen. Well, not only did it ruin the hearers, but it promoted a, a poor example of um, the gospel to the general public, anybody else who heard it. I was in high school when um, I listened to that, and it was fascinating. You know, I mean, it was quite interesting to listen to. But afterwards, it was like, oh, well, none of that happened, so I guess I don't need to worry about that. Um, so it ruins the hearers. Uh, so that's, he's talking about public ministry in verses uh, 14 and, um, yeah, mostly 14. And then 15 and 16, he's talking about uh, a bit more of private ministry. He says in 15, do your best to present yourself to God. And this verse is where we get Awana from, for the group that's meeting next door, the kids over there, um, which is a worker... Uh, Oh, I had it in here. A worker approved. That's it. Yeah, a worker and not ashamed basically is the idea. And I know I wrote it here. I'm going to run into it here in a minute and I'll repeat myself, which I do often. So. Um, so verse 15 again. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who uh, has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Pre, uh, so this is private ministry to himself. He's saying preach the word and then practice what you preach. Verse 16, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. The order here is a little interesting that he talks about this idea of uh, preaching first, public ministry, and then his private life, presenting himself before God. You'd think it would be reversed, right? To practice and then preach. 
Well, Paul exhorts Timothy to preach and then to put into action in his own life. Why, why is this? Um, well, let me ask a couple questions. Have you ever been guilty yourself of, of um, putting your pastor on a pedestal, um, thinking more highly of them potentially than we ought to? No? Vic never has. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we probably all do it at, at some level or another. You probably haven't with me. That's what Vic was saying, not you, Elise. <laughs> he knows me too well. Um, yeah, remember that your pastors, uh, even those recently retired ones who we all think so very highly of, are, are people with struggles, just like the rest of us. Um, none of us. Paul himself said, it's not like I've attained to this, right? I'm not doing this perfectly. He's still growing in Christ. He's still learning. Uh, we are too. We just happen to have the time available to us to potentially spend a little bit more time in the Word. Um, or we should be spending more time in the Word. Uh, that is a large part of our job. Um, but again, it's not like we've arrived. We are continuing to grow. Here are some wise sayings that kind of go along with this or maybe contrast a little bit. But beware of an overweight nutritionist. Attorneys. <laughs> attorneys serving a prison sentence. Phys uh, physicians that chain smoke. Bankrupt financial advisors. And preachers, pastors who live contrary. This is where you can judge them, right? Who live contrary to the word of God. Um, don't judge for failures from time to time, right? But uh, living contrary to the word of God as a, on a regular basis. Same thing for you, brothers and sisters, in, in interacting with one another. We've got to have room to allow um, a failure, right? As Rick has often said, if God couldn't use our mistakes, he wouldn't have much to work with. He wouldn't have anything to work with. It would probably be more accurate a lot of times, but... Uh, so we've got to have room and grace with one another too. Room for mistakes, room for even sinful behavior, egregious sinful behavior when it's followed up by repentance, right? And a real desire to, to I, I hate that sin in my life and I want it out of my life and seeking help getting that out of our hearts, out of our minds, out of our souls, out of our, out of our bodies, right? So we've got to have that kind of room with each other as well. Now, unrepentant sin, yeah, break fellowship, right? But when it's repentance, we've got to have room and grace for one another. So back it up a little bit. Verse 16, avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And this is what will happen. Their talk will spread like gangrene. Uh, among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who swerved uh, from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. I'm going to stop there for a moment. Uh, spreading like gangrene. Gangrene, we don't see that very often in our culture anymore. Before, hygiene was very good. It, it's an infection um, that just, just spreads because it's not stopped. Cancer would probably be... Un, un, undiscovered cancer would be more uh, uh, apropos in our day and age. Um, uh, Undetected, it, it spreads and continues to grow, right? And it, it spreads throughout the whole body if nothing's done to stop it. Same thing with gangrene. Did I say a bacteria? It's an infection, isn't it? Anyway, irregardless. Before we had modern medicine, gangrene wasn't stoppable. It killed people. Um, so 
this kind of uh, irreverent babble is like gangrene. It spreads. Gossip, it spreads. He says among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. Hymenaeus was, was talked about back in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Um, in fact, turn there for just a moment because I think this is a good reminder, a good verse again. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And uh, actually, we'll start in verse 12. Hymenaeus is, is mentioned in uh, verse 20 here, so we'll get there. Um, verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And then he charges Timothy uh, to continue to live in the prophecies that were made about him, which sharing the gospel and utilizing the gifts uh, and then it says, um, holding faith and a good conscience by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Verse 20, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Alexander and Hymenaeus were uh, probably two different things. One, they were saying that the, um, that the resurrection had already happened, and it talks about that in 1 Thessalonians. And the other thing that they probably uh, were talking about is that you didn't, that because of God's grace and mercy, you didn't have to obey, was the other heresy that they taught, um, which is completely false. And so Paul is saying, don't, uh, well, they've shipwrecked their faith, he says. And then here in, uh, in chapter, two, in uh, 2 Timothy, he says, they've swerved from the truth saying that the resurre resurrection has already happened and they're upsetting the faith. So don't go down that road with them, Timothy. The third section, verses 20 through 26, calling Timothy to lead well. Uh, leadership is a lot about, well, really two variables in people's lives. One is competence. The other is character. And the difference between the two is that uh, uh, one's public and the other is much more about what we do when no one else is around, which is character, right? Um, Garrett asked some questions when he was teaching through Titus. Um, what do you do when you suddenly find an extra $20 in your pocket? And he didn't ask the next question, but what he, what he was getting at, what he was hinting towards is, well, do you head to the bar? Um, or you know, do you, are you using it, utilizing that for righteous purposes? you find an extra $20 or are you using it for unrighteous purposes? Um, and he asked some other questions when, when he was teaching to Titus. When, when we find we have extra, hand, extra time on our hands, when our spouses are out of town for a weekend, um, you know, what are we doing with our free time when nobody else is around? What's our character like, right? How is Christ changing our character? Uh, the other side of that is competence. And which, one is, which one's more important? Do you guys think? I mean, show of hands. How many of you think that character is more important? 
The other is competence. So competence is your ability to perform the duties, right? Your natural ability or your, maybe your giftings even. So competence and character. Um, <laughs> who thinks that competence is more important? Greg, you raised your hand both times. Yes, I, I like that answer. They're both equal, well, equally important. They're both very important. It really kind of depends on the situation. If it's brain surgery, you want somebody who's very competent. I don't particularly care what they're doing on the weekends. I don't particularly care what they're doing with extra time. I want them to be the best, best brain surgeon that I can find, right? I want them to have the most competence. Now, if it's my pastor, I probably can have a little less competence, potentially, if the character is there, right? Um, if they're living out what they're teaching, um, then I probably have a little more grace for lack of competence. So have a little more grace with me. <laughs> that just came to me. That wasn't part of my notes, but it's like, I probably could use a little more competence sometimes. So, um. <laughs> uh, so character and competence, uh, both part of leadership, both part of leading, leading well. Let's jump into the verses. Verse 20. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for good work. So because of these things, flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, which are faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape uh, from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. There's some of that room for grace and mercy right there, right? Um, enduring patiently, enduring evil, and correcting uh, with gentleness. Because God may not be done with them. Um, there's an if-then proposition that happens in verse 21. The if is, is uh, once the cleansing has happened, or if they cleanse themselves, then these four things happen. The person becomes a vessel for honorable use. God can use you for good things, for righteous purposes. Uh, the person is sanctified, set apart for a particular use. Um, the, the person is useful to their master. These are all right out of verse 21. The person is useful to their master, to the Lord. And the person is prepared for every good work. All of this happens if we, if we um, have cleansed ourselves to be an honorable vessel. Uh, set apart as holy. So, no matter, uh, no matter how we try to dress up our sinful nature, it's ugly, right? But we do have the, uh, the ability, it may not be the right word, uh, in cooperating with the sanctification, the sanctifying work, the 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 making us honorable vessels that the Lord is doing as we're cooperating with that in our lives, um, that sinful nature is being diminished. So let me ask, uh, or let us ask ourselves a couple of questions. Am I a vessel of honor 
or of dishonor? Am I cooperating with the Holy Spirit, with the, the sanctifying work that he's doing in my life to make me more like Jesus, to make me holy? Um, again, going back to what I first said, God's main concern isn't our happiness, but it's our holiness. Um, how closely we are, are thinking like, being like, and acting like his son Jesus. Do I resolve quarrels or do I perpetuate them? When topics come up that maybe are controversial, am, am I interjecting things? Am I stirring the pot? I'm actually guilty of this once in a while. Um, it's, usually it's in good fun and it's being snarky, but even that, uh, when you continue to stir the pot, it, 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 it can cause quarrels, right? And, it, and it's, we, we read it, it's, it's bad for the hearers. Um, so am I a person of peace? Am I somebody who's trying to quell quarrels and bring peace into a situation? Or just walking away and ignoring, you know, controversial things. Say, oh, that's nice. <laughs> An example from my own life. Uh, we used to meet in here on Sunday, Sunday nights and have communion services. And it, it morphed into many different things over the years. But there was one point in time when it was kind of... Um, I don't know, just a, there was an opportunity for people to share about things that were happening, kind of like I've been trying to do on, with you guys, have you share you know, your experiences on sharing the gospel. But, but it, was, it was pretty open to just about anything. And, and one of the people that came regularly was just always, it was like Pollyanna. It's like everything always seemed to be going right in this person's life. And it irritated me to no end. Um, <laughs> it's like, how can that be? How can things be going so well for them? And I happened to be out, and this was early on um, in my walk with the Lord, out in the, headed to the restroom, I think, or maybe coming back from him. Pastor Rick was out there, and I kind of cornered him almost, and it's like, why is it that everything is so good? How come nothing bad ever happened? And, and he just like didn't even want to get involved in this conversation, right? Here's a good answer for you when things like this come up or controversies. I'll be praying for you. <laughs> and he walked away, and I'm like, Seriously? What good is that going to do? No, I didn't think that, but it was just like, I was just stopped in my tracks immediately, right? Um, to finish that story, the next Sunday evening that we were together, something tragic had happened in their life, actually, and very sad and very hard, and they shared about that, and, it, and conviction, oh my gosh, I felt about this big, right? I went and talked to them later and shared the whole story with them, and it was a good growing experience for me in particularly, and, and I'm not sure what it did for them, but, um, but I was able to share it. So. Uh, so do I resolve quarrels or perpetuate them? Do I get upset about things and, and stir up controversies, or am I a peacemaker? Uh, here's the good news in that. Right in both of these things, and becoming more holy, and, and becoming honorable vessels, and then also in, in uh, um, becoming peacemakers, and uh, kind of encapsulating all of this. Right, even the armor that we talked about earlier, and, and the fact that we we get beat up. That's what the armor is there is to protect us. Right, to stop the fiery darts of the enemy. Um, we're not in it alone. <laughs> not in it alone. We've got the Holy Spirit, for one. These are the two greatest things we have. We have the Holy Spirit. We have God's Word, um, Christ Jesus, right? Uh, the other thing that we have, a little bit lower on the list but still important, is we have each other. Um, we have each other. We're in the same battle. And uh, many of you are probably familiar with uh, Band of Brothers. It was an HBO um, World War II special. And 
if you decide that you want to watch this, I'm not necessarily recommending that you watch it. Okay, it's very violent. It's World War II, for Pete's sake. So it's violent. There's cursing. There's, um, there's not a lot of, there's no, ah, there's sexual innuendo, but I don't recall there being any, um, there's no nudity or anything in it. But there's just graphic violence, right? And it, it, it's World War II. It's a well-done docu-series. Um, but anyway, that's not the focus of, of where I'm headed. Stephen Ambrose was the author of Band of Brothers, and this is where he pulled that title. He, he actually pulled the title from, a, from a Shakespeare's, a, a poem by Shakespeare that was St. Crispin's Day Speech, and it comes out of Henry V. Here's the background. As the British army prepared for battle, they're cut off from retreat, they're sick with dysentery, they're fatigued from marching, and they're outnumbered five to one. And the king rallies his generals. And he says, uh, and Crispin Crispian shall near go by. So this is an old English, British, right? A little challenging to understand, but. And Crispin Crispian shall near go by from this day to the ending of the world. But we in it shall be remembered. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Soldiers form a very special bond on the field facing heartache, facing tragedy, facing terrible situations together, right? Christian brother and sister, Christ is calling us to a similar thing as, as a band of brothers with him, to share in his suffering, perhaps to shed blood like he shed blood, certainly to shed uh, social capital like Travis talked about Sunday, um, to share in his suffering and to share together with each other, to encourage each other, um, to strengthen and to build that same kind of soldierly bond, right? Not because we're in the same kind of battle, um, but we are very much in a battle. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for uh, the book of Timothy, uh, really a, a fairly small, short book, but, but packed with... Um, packed with emotion, packed with really good themes that apply to our day just as much as they did in Paul and Timothy's time, um, where it seems like the gospel is at, is at risk. We know that you sustain it, Lord, so we know it's not going away. And, and thankfully, we, we have the book to read, so we know how things end. But at the same time, it, it just sometimes feels like the gospel is at risk. Who's going to carry it forward in the next generation? Well, just like Paul called Timothy, um, there, Timothy and this book, you, in fact, are calling us um, to be the Timothy of our day, to, to take up um, the gospel and to take up suffering, uh, to share, to show to the world the realities of the gospel, the goodness of who Jesus Christ is, that he actually did come, that he actually did die for our sins. So, Lord, I pray that, that you press that in upon our hearts and minds. We're, we're thankful, again, for this letter that, that shows this to us. Um, help that to sink in, Lord, and that we, would, uh, that we would share in the suffering, that we would suffer for the gospel. We wouldn't shy away. We wouldn't be ashamed. Um, and that we would stand firm in the gospel truth, Lord. 
Uh, we're grateful for these realities, grateful for these truths, and I'm thankful, Lord, for each and every brother and sister that's here, uh, and pray, Father, that, that as a community, that we together form um, those kinds of soldiering bonds, the, uh, the bonds of closeness, the bonds of friendship, the bonds of fellowship that come from being in a, in a united front with a united purpose, that being the gospel of Jesus Christ, and sharing that with the rest of the, the world around us, Lord. Um, and that as we, uh, we're going to get beat up from time to time from that, so Lord, I pray that you help us to encourage one another, that we're encouraged through your word, encouraged by your spirit, and encouraged uh, by our brothers and sisters. So I thank you for each one of them, Lord. I ask for your blessing upon them. And I pray, Father, that you give each and every one of us uh, opportunity over the next weeks to, um, to share our own testimonies, to share our own stories, and uh, that you'll put people in our lives that need to hear about you, Lord, and that we'll answer that, that call, that we'll be ready. Uh, for the hope that's within us, ready to give a defense for the hope that's within us. We love you, Lord, and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.